coping and, and numbing yourself out or distracting yourself through external engagement, let's say in the form of busyness, right? Let's say in the form of working a lot. That's an external process. And it's an, it's an attempt to fix an internal problem with an external solution. Welcome back to Guild Stories. Josh Kress is, uh, is gracing me with his presence across the table today. Josh is the founder of Ampersand Counseling Group, um, a neighbor on the Liberty Square, Caddy Corner. Yes. Uh, welcome to our lovely studio uh, across the street from you, man. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Dude, I love the square. I love my window looks out directly over the square and I love it. What word do you use to describe the Liberty Square? Quaint. Quaint. That's a good one. Yeah. I've used charming before. Yeah. But quaint, I like quaint better. Yeah. Quaint's better. I wish there were some more businesses. And I wish some of the businesses that are here, some of the spaces, um, would do a little better job of, like, really honoring that space and taking better care of it. We need a pizza joint. (laughs) We need like a single slice pizza joint. hundred percent. Although I, I would probably put that. on, you know, <laughs> I, I have thought about it. That's why I'm here today is to talk to you about a business idea. Okay, good. About starting a pizza joint. On the Liberty Square. On the Liberty Square. As a fellow Enneagram 7, I'm in. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, somebody will figure out the details. We just have to like do all the fun stuff like come up with the idea, the names. A hundred percent. Logo. Yeah. Concepts. Logo. Yep. Cool. Really fun place to be. Oh, absolutely. And then who does the business license part? <laughs> I don't know. Who does yours? <laughs> I don't have any idea. Um, wait, what's a business license? And Wait, taxes? What are those? <laughs> who, who's responsible for literally everything that makes a business or an organization happen? Uh, fellow Swifty, Taylor Swift. Right. Grown, grown yeah. men uh, who enjoy Taylor Swift. So we have that in common. We yep. have the Enneagram 7 in common. You were a um, former boss of my wife um, who who joined your practice for a while. And I think, you know, all of that's really fun, and we'll explore all of that. I think another route in, in, in our fellow rabbit trail brains that we'll cover today is what's happening with people <laughs> in, right. in mental health? What are you seeing in your office and in your practice? Um, and then maybe being able to offer some glimpses of help and hope and and uh, practices towards maybe a less chaotic and more meaningful life. Do you think we can cover that in about 40 minutes? Yeah. Okay. I good. probably 5. <laughs> okay. No, good. I'm just get I hope so. <laughs> okay, good. I, I do want to push back on something though. Good. Um I would not use the term boss mm. uh, of your wife. Mm. Um I would use the term uh like mentor, love it. trainer uh because that that's what I do that that's what I do is part of doing therapy I also work with newer therapists and do training and supervision mentoring helping them grow as therapists and um oh man I feel like it sounds so cheesy no, but it does hone hone their craft mm-hmm. like 
they they have skills, they have a background, they have experiences that they bring into the work they do. And so I don't I don't like the word boss um, because really they are their own boss. That's right. What I'm there to do is mentor them and, and help do training. Mm, well said. I'm glad you challenged it, and I'm, I'm glad for the reframe. And as someone who has had, as someone who had an aversion to therapy, an aversion and an avoidance, Enneagram 7, mm. avoidance of pain, um, yeah. had this kind of like, nah, I'm good, bro. Things are fine. Um, until my mid-30s when the things are fine trick uh, eroded yeah. <laughs> and crumbled beneath my right. uh, my feet. Things and, things were fine until they weren't. Yeah, fine. they weren't fine at all. It turns out. Yeah. Um. I, first, man, like, and, and just to affirm and encourage your vocation, like mm-hmm. what you are doing and what your group is doing in a sea of other people who are doing really good work too, is to be commended, man. And it mm. has to be the most um, challenging and difficult and exhausting, and sometimes probably hopeless feeling work, <laughs> but to, as, as like, and we're such in different contexts, of course, but as we're on our own kind of human first journey here at a marketing agency, it's like, my gosh, without, without trained and licensed and, um, very wise therapists guiding our souls along this weird journey we're all on, um, can't say thanks enough, man. So I wanted to start mm. there. Well, man, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It is, um, every once in a while, we'll, have somebody, somebody that we've worked with come back and say, you know, hey, thank you so much. Like, I, I couldn't have made it to this point without without you. And when a therapist hears that, it's, uh, man, it's just so, it's just so cool. It's so enjoyable. It's, um, it's, it's a good moment to ground you to why you're, doing the work that you're doing as a therapist, especially in a post-COVID world um, where the entire world collectively had a midlife crisis. Yeah, shit hit the hit the emotional fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quite literally, yeah. like, the whole right? world at once. Yeah. It was there, to yeah. be clear. I, at least I would argue. I, you, know, you do this for a living. I think the collective stuff was all there, but at good night it got brought to the surface and hit, hit the fan in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Because things shut down for the most part, not, not for everyone because, uh, people that were considered, um, necessary workers didn't have things stopped. In fact, it got worse for them. So I think it, for those people, it ended up probably putting them over the edge, but for the, for others, things just sort of came to a halt. And I think there's a lot of delusion that goes into, or a lot of avoidance that goes into everyday life of I'm doing the things, I'm going to work, I'm you know trying to spend time with my family. I'm just kind of moving from one thing to the other. We have sports, we have school, we have you know all these things that take our time and just kind of move us along. And then all of that stopped. And people were stuck at home with their families and they were forced to face how well or how unwell they function. And do I even like this person? 
do they even like me? Do because I like, now, do I like myself? <laughs> do I like myself? Right? Because now we're forced to stop, and there's there's no busyness to distract us, and to and to help us numb out, and it was an incredibly difficult time for everyone. I know it was wasn't this simple or black and white, but are there big kind of portraits in your mind of like themes or pre-COVID conversations that were consistent in your office versus what they are today in like this kind of emerging post-normal COVID? Cause I, and, and the reason I ask is because at least in our home and, and life and what seems like the intersecting circles, it's like, no, bro, the busyness is back. <laughs> Um, right. That didn't last long. And now, now are those same kind of mechanisms and coping strategies and, um, and, and numbing agents back at play or, or are they, um, or have, have we entered something entirely different? How about that for a non question question? Right. (laughs) Um, man, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I, I think, for some people, it has been just back to, you know, trying to find a back to normal in, in an unhealthy way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's been, uh, it's been very clarifying. And they're saying, I, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to that. I don't like that. I actually didn't like it. And so I want some kind of change. And I want things to be more balanced, more healthy. So I think it, um, I think it just kind of depends. Depends on the person. Depends on, um, you know, how they were affected by it. I, for my own story, and I was like mid, you know, on the trail, on the journey of therapy and self awareness and all sorts of discovery about myself pre COVID. Then COVID went down and. My goodness, I, um, I guess I'll just say it directly, like kind of drank my face off. <laughs> okay. And like coped and no, nobody would have known. I've written about yeah. this publicly. Like no one would have known. It looked fine. Like I, I wasn't a raging a-hole or doing like crazy stuff and climbing trees drunk or whatever. But, but I, in that discomfort in the silence, I was like, eh, whiskey helps a lot. Yeah. And it by my bedside table at night and on the deck at 11 p.m. with my laptop as I would like workaholic to my way through it. Mm. Um, it, it was, it was, it was the constant companion to some loneliness that, that was emerging there. And, and good night. Thank, thank lots of reasons. I, I, I've avoided, I've, I've jumped off of that train that I was on. Yeah. Um, and that's not the point. The point, though, for me was like, dude, it exposed that kind of silence and the the anti busyness that w- I think is is so common. Um, for me, it was like, oh, alcohol will help. <laughs> right. It, it, man, it created so many other challenging uh, situations. Yeah, it's a quick way. I, I mean, if you are used to coping and, and numbing yourself out or distracting yourself through external engagement, let's say in the form of busyness, right? Let's say in the form of working a lot, that's an external 
process. And it's an, it's an attempt to fix an internal problem with an external solution. So well said. So then if I don't have that busyness, then I got to find something else externally to distract myself, to numb myself out. And on top of that, I, I think, you know, there was initially a, a sense of, with, with COVID, initially a sense of like, well, hey, you know, stay home, watch Netflix, save lives. You know, it was like, <laughs> this is what I was called to do, right? Part of that sounds amazing. Yeah, it, did, right. it was for a yeah. while. Tiger King was very entertaining, <laughs> right? And so, so initially it's like, oh, well, you know, hey, like we're on vacation, you know, it's just kind of like vacation, work vacation from home. And so, you know, it's 2.30, but I'm, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> right? So, sure, why not? Like, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're not driving anywhere. So, um, but the alcohol industry did very well. I mean, they were. They did just fine. Oh, man, they were booming. Statistically, they did really well mm. during that. And. You know, they're, what, what you're talking about is not uncommon. And, and there's a lot of people, myself included, who initially were like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then it was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm having a drink every day. I'm, I'm, drink, I'm having two drinks every day. I'm having three drinks on Saturday and Sunday. And, and then it was like, okay, this is not, this is not good. Because the next step... I know what the next step gets you. Yeah. Right. The next step gets you inpatient somewhere. It gets you like a lot of work on, hey, you you can't come back from this. Or I shouldn't say you can't come back from this. It's a next, long road. The long next road step back. is a long road back. And um, there were a lot of people that went through that. In fact, it's it's really interesting talking to clients post-COVID, how many people said, yeah, I, I stopped drinking because it was, I was finding myself bored or, you know, at just at home and it seemed like the thing to do. And then I realized I was using too much. I was drinking too much and I, I didn't like that. And now what's booming is, uh, these non-alcoholic oh boy booze, like non-alcoholic <clears throat> drink industry. And it, it's having, it's, surge now because people are like well to- i still Topo like chico ha- i'm in Topo Ch- <laughs> right yeah yeah so tastes like a corona kind of actually yeah uh, <laughs> um yeah man we'll we'll uh yeah we'll shift but I, I think it's um you know one of the stories i wrote in my in my little piece not little it was a long rambling piece on alcohol but i my relationship to it got so complicated that we went to it's, it's a great spot. We went to Trago. I had five, I, I'm, a, I'm like embarrassed enough to say it, but I've also written it publicly. So that, that, that part of the shame, uh, frothy part layer is, is gone now. Um, but I had five old fashions in like three mm. hours. Right. Wow. And went home and like, I, dude, I, I'm, I'm not proud of it. Like I got pissed and angry and like all that stuff comes mm. out like yelling at Brooke and like, she had to be like, dude, come on, bro. Um, and then I would walk from my house to the Liberty High V, which 
sounds close when you're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long way. And it's yeah. like late at night, and I'm walking on this random wall of, uh, along the road, thinking that I'm like, dude, I'm like late 30s at this point, you know? Or may, maybe I was 40. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, in And the denial of my, uh, I don't know, just that survival instinct of like, and you have, and I woke up that next morning and I was like, I have a problem mm. <laughs> and that's not okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that cause I'm like saved myself or whatever. I'm just saying your, your context of external, if I'm not aware of it, I can become the external solution monkey so fast with a right. million different things working out even good stuff. Like, right. Um, good conversations with Brooke, whatever. Like if that solution is outside of me, it sure doesn't last for long, it seems, and to be be the most helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell people all the time, if I don't realize I'm part of the problem, then I don't realize I'm part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And that can get you in a place where you see yourself as a victim even though in reality there's this messiness of I'm the one that's actually creating a lot of this problem in this struggle, yet I don't see it. And I just see the reaction from the other person. And then I feel like I'm constantly being criticized or nagged on. And, and, and I feel like the victim because I'm not owning my own part of the problem. And so then I don't, I don't work on it. I don't become part of the solution. I just get into a mindset that says, well, I'm the victim. Well, they're just nagging at me. They're just picking on I, I don't really have a problem. This isn't, you know, they, they just don't like this. They're the fun police, you know, or whatever. And it's, it's crazy. It's kind of crazy making mm. for yourself and for the other person. And there's a lot, a lot of men that come in that have to learn that lesson where they have to hear you're part of the problem here. You're not the victim. When you're doing these things, when you're making these unhealthy choices, you are the problem. You're, you're not the victim. And that is a tough pill to swallow. As our fellow um, wise philosopher Taylor Swift said, <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. Right. And, and, and I remember, in all seriousness, like texting you when, like, it was what it was awesome, whatever. Like, teenage girls and me, everybody's pumped. The album drops. I said CD this morning to Rowan, our 15 year old. She's like, What? <laughs> Morgan Wallen's album comes out. I was like, yeah, CD comes out. She's like, dad, you're so old. Um, so anyway, Taylor's album drops and it turns out it's also one of her most popular songs now, but, but that, that song anti-hero was the first one. I was like, Oh God. Yeah. I, that, that's, um, what you're saying is I'm the problem. It's me, man. Mm -hmm. And the, her line about covert narcissism in that line. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You too? <laughs> right. Right. And, and, but I, I think of that when you talk about victim and, and then and then the re- responsibility for us to take agency in our own life. How? Yep. How? I know everybody's different, but 
that's a hard road for people to walk, right? Absolutely. And, and I think what, what I've seen in my own life and then seen in other people that makes me upset at them, but when I realize why I'm upset, I'm upset because they're doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that in someone else and I'm realizing, oh, that's, that's what I do and I don't like that about myself. And what happens is, this is the other part of covert narcissism, is I walk around looking and collecting everyone else's hurts and trying to fix things for them instead of focusing on myself and what I need to fix in myself. And so even though somebody may not ask me to fix that, I, I'm looking and saying, oh, oh gosh, I'm so sorry you're going through it. Here, let me, let me take that on. Let me take that on. And, and some people are more than happy to let you take it on. Other people are looking at you like, I, I, what? No, I don't want you to take that on. But it, hey, it keeps me busy and it keeps me distracted from my own shortcomings. And so I'll walk around pretending and feeling like I'm the hero in my story and I'm the hero in everyone else's story to show up and rescue them. Mm. And in doing so, it keeps me from facing what I need to face in myself. But boy, isn't that convenient Mm. because then I get to be the hero for somebody else and I don't have to do my own work. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'm struck by, and again, I know everybody's different, but you, you, you deal with people like me every day, every hour. When those light bulbs begin to go off and people start to see that reality, what shifts in them? Or what begins to emerge of just the awareness of their own responsibility in the story that they've outsourced? I I think that's what shifts. I think what shifts is, is truly a sense of self-awareness. I feel like that is probably the, one of the biggest issues in, in our culture is the lack of self-awareness, the lack of how I'm walking around and impacting other people. And what, what I'm doing that typically negatively impacts other people. I'm not aware of that because I'm not looking at that. I'm not considering things from their perspective. And so when I don't do that, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm shocked that somebody would be upset at me. What? Why are you mad at me? I'm the hero. Don't you know? So good. I'm the hero. Yes. And, and I say to myself, why shouldn't my wife be pissed at me? Why, why shouldn't she? What is so special about me <laughs> that she should never be mad at me? What? I don't even like me sometimes. <laughs> why would I be surprised when she doesn't like me at times? Now, she loves me, and I know that, but... Why would I be surprised that she can get mad at me? Don't I get mad at her sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. What's so special about Josh? 
well, what's so special is I, the fragility, right, of, oh, oh no, somebody's mad at me. Yes. And can I, can I tolerate that? My tolerance of that is not very strong still. And, I, you know, like that, that um, can, you know, in my, in my therapy work, it's, it's been um, discussed as codependence and outsourced approval and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like my instinct for someone else to tell me I'm okay mm. is so strong, dude. Yeah. And thank God I'm becoming more aware of it and its impact. But, you know, whether it's business or friend or relationship with Brooke or my kids or whatever. It's like, please tell me I'm good and okay. Right. Right. And it's like, wait a second. Hold on. That's my, that's my soul. That's the stability of my own soul to tell me that that's true. Um, but man, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hi. My name is. By the way, I feel like I'm in counseling right now. So. Oh, good. (laughs) I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Well, well, let me change the dynamic then. So hi, my name's Josh. I'm a recovering people pleaser. So now this is group counseling. That's so, awesome. um, but yeah, that's what I had to, that's what I had to sort out about myself and figure out that, um, I have the power within me to calm myself down and to feel okay and to feel valid, even if somebody else doesn't think so. And it's important, it's necessary for any relationship because if I'm not okay with that, then I avoid conflict. And conflict is a necessary, healthy part of relationship. I, I love this quote. There's, a, there's an Irish uh, philosopher, and uh, his name's Peter Rollins, and he says, war is the absence of the ability to do conflict. Wow. War is the absence of the ability to do conflict. And that makes so much sense because war is ultimately about domination. It's ultimately about winners and losers. And what happens, especially for couples, is they don't know how to do conflict, which in my belief is really about what's the best way forward. It, it's an exchange. It's a, uh, a debate around who has the best idea here and how do we move forward? That's what conflict should be about. And if I can't do conflict, right, because I have an idea and you have an idea that you think is better and you want to challenge my idea and I don't know how to do conflict, I don't know how to be okay with myself and say, well, just because somebody else has a different opinion or just because my spouse has a different opinion uh, doesn't mean I'm wrong. It just means that they have a different opinion on this. And if I can't be okay with that, then I immediately go to a defense mode and I immediately go to, in my head, what it sounds like is that boxing bell, ding, mm-hmm. ding. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be like that? Go time. Let's go. Okay, let's do it. <clears throat> yep. Let's go. I, let's do and it immediately goes to that, to that war kind of mentality. And I have to slow myself down and say, hold on, hold on. Doesn't mean you're wrong. Maybe you are. Maybe. But isn't the most loving thing to do to listen and consider 
if I'm wrong? And if I am, then what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be the kind of person that says, okay, I'm wrong. I, I need to own this. I need to apologize and try to make amends. Or do I want to be somebody who's arrogant and says, no, nah, no, nah, screw you. Like, I'm right. I know I'm right. My way is always the best. People love that guy. <laughs> I'm, I, I laugh awkwardly and nervously because it's like, God, that was me. And, 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 and left unchecked still can be and still, right. still am at times for sure. I remember one of the, one of the first, I don't know, seven to ten sessions we had um with uh with and he my goodness he 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 quite literally helped put me on the right path Mm. rick down south um we're sitting in his couch and we're going through like our first like sustained marriage counseling which was which was well overdue (laughs) um because of me and he i'm the problem it's me uh (laughs) that's what i was thinking thanks taylor um (laughs) But anyway, I'll be brief, as, as brief as I can. The Brooke was sharing this experience, her experience, her reality, her mm-hmm. truth, and it was hurtful and painful, and, and it was um, very disruptive to my ego. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out. And, I mean, I could feel my face getting hot. I could feel everything, like, rising up in this, like, the boxing bell. That's perfect. I'm like, no, I, I got to convince and defend and um, tell her that she's wrong and she didn't see it the way I saw it. And Rick, in his, like, Enneagram 9 kindness, but also, like, really, really acutely poignant and and accurate in my soul. He's like, hey, can you repeat back to her what you heard her say? Mm. And I was like, I mean, honestly, in my spirit, I was like, F you, man. Yeah. Uh, Of (laughs) course I can't because (laughs) I was building my defense. And, dude, and you've seen guys like me every day. You do this for a living. I see guys like you in the mirror every morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I I literally didn't have words to say because anything that would have come out of my mouth would have been angry, by like, by, uh, what's the word? Vitriol. Oh, um, vitriol. Vitriol. Yeah. Hello. And I said, Rick, and I finally like got composed. I was like, I can't. Can you model it for me? Mm. And he did a most the most beautiful job of like validating and understanding her experience while also not taking responsibility for her experience. Mm. And I was like, oh man, I have a long, <laughs> I have a yeah. lot of skill to learn yeah. of the way of the soul. Um, but goodness, it's uh, it, my my que- my my meandering leads me though to my question, which is that that's hard work. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've begun that journey. It's really hard work, but what prevents us as a society, as a culture, I know we've talked about some of it with COVID, but, um, man, I, I think this like, and you used the word before we started rolling of like this hustle culture mm-hmm. <laughs> and this like nonstop obsession with being better, being perfect, looking perfect, you know, having all the answers, like doing the thing, right? What, where does your mind go when, when a, when a meandering guy like me says, what prevents us from that self-awareness work that is so critical for our, our healing? Man, that, that's a great question. I, I think, um, I think it's kind of a, a, a cocktail or a stew of a couple of different things. I think there is sort of the hustle culture kind of mentality, you know, this question of, well, what's your side hustle? 
you know, mm. what is it not good enough to just have you know, a really demanding full-time job? Right. <laughs> right. What's my side hustle? I don't know. Trying to be a present parent, like trying to be an involved and present spouse. Mm. Like, you know, that's my side hustle. Um, yeah, it's, it's this mentality of, uh, Brene Brown calls it hustling for your worth, right? I have to do and earn and achieve to be seen as, you know, valuable, as, um, important as, you know, whatever we think when we think of, you know, Bill Gates or, um, Steve Jobs or, um, you know, any of these. Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I could, I could yeah. Help. Jeffrey I'm Bezos. Sorry. and yeah. uh, Oh, what's the other guy? The SpaceX guy. Elon. E- Elon yeah. Musk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so I think there's that sort of uh, mentality of do, 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 do. And what I'll talk to, because I, I work with a lot of men, is I'll talk to them about this mentality of, you're a human doing, and that's not what you were meant to be. You were meant to be a human being. And so you have to stop engaging in transactional relationships where I create a codependence with my family or my job, mostly my job, where I show up again and again and again hoping to earn my worth by that next promotion, that next raise. And I'm not knocking sure. at all the, the necessity of, hey, I want to pursue better things or I need a pay raise. But this thing of like, well, when is enough, right? And when we engage in transactional relationships, especially with jobs, we create a codependent relationship with our job. And it is the most, I mean, just sad, sad experience to sit across the room from somebody who is 66 and they're a former whatever, you pick the title, that's retired and now is at therapy, usually because their wife made them come. And they're saying, I don't, I don't understand. My kids don't want anything to do with me. My mm. wife doesn't really want anything to do with me or tells me that I'm not doing enough. And I went back to visit all those people at work that when I retired said, oh, man, we're going to miss you. Oh, Justin, you're so great. We're going to miss you. Stop by any time and we'll go out to lunch. It's going to be great. Don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. And then you show up and not only are you a stranger, but it's worse than that. You're an inconvenience because guess what? The machine's still running. The machine is still running. Mm -hmm. And we got to, we have bottom lines to meet. We've, we've got stuff to get done, and you're here slowing us down. We don't have time for that. And they put all their faith, time, and energy into this system, into a company that is not going to give them what they need when they move into retirement, at least not emotionally. 
and to have to sit across from that person and help them process that grief and that betrayal Mm. because I followed the pyramid scheme and it turns out even though I got to the top I'm still on the bottom and and I, I got to the top and there was nothing there for me and now I have another 10 15 20 years left and I don't I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And so we have to grieve that. We have to understand that, feel that, and then say, it's not too late. It's actually not too late because you can make changes and you can go back and you can start engaging in healthy relationships. And that is really hard work, but it's rewarding. It's a, it's a beautiful way you frame that up. My, my mind goes back like it does most of the time when we have conversations with, with this type of stuff is to my own experience, sitting on the couch going, Rick, I'm feeling so much shame and embarrassment. Rick, how am I 36? And I'm just learning how to tell the actual truth. <laughs> and, right. he, and he said, oh, Justin, there are 76-year-old men that come into my office that are learning the same lesson. Be thankful that the lights are going on for your own um, walk into yourself. <laughs> was, yeah. he, he recommended the road back to you, and there's so many mm. good resources. But um, I, I'm struck by, especially in this like Western frenetic, busy, everything. And I, man, I play the I play the game. Like I, I I like am a willing participant lots of times in in the hustle and the busy piece. But the, the inner experience of most, and, and goodness, I'm putting myself at the top of the list, is, is really underdeveloped. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I'm, you mentioned a few, like, it's not too late, glimpses of hope yeah. and healing. And I know you're not going to solve everybody's challenges on a, on a 45-minute podcast, but for those walking through their own dark nights of the soul or, or in their own um, delusions that they're fine. Yeah. (laughs) Which I know well. Um, Where would you begin to point people towards, Hey, there's hope for the, for the way ahead. What I know that it's not so like formulaic is like do a, B and C, but where would you start to go? Your, your comment about this being rewarding, like what, what would you encourage people um, to begin to consider? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. L- let me answer it in a, in a practical way because I, I love the philosophy uh, of change and talking about that. But if it's not practical, then um, it, it's just an exercise of privilege. So mm. let me uh, talk about practically what, what I have found that's really helpful, not just for myself, but for other men that I've worked with is to say, Okay, well, let's start externally. What you're most aware of, or or what you're most aware of, period, is is the doing, right? So let's just start with the doing, and let's talk about the different hats that you wear, the different roles that you play. So what are the what are those different hats that you're wearing? Spouse, maybe husband, 
um, or sorry, uh, spouse, father, um, you know, parent, um, employee, supervisor, manager, whatever. Let's let's just get functional and say what are the different places that you show up in your life and are expected to perform or do. Then let's take an honest evaluation of those. Hmm. And I, I love this quote. There's a, a quote by James Baldwin where he says, um, you know, not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Dang. And so start with hmm. creating a space and where people can give you honest feedback. Well, how do I do that, right? How do I get honest feedback and not be defensive? I would very simply recommend looking up on YouTube or Spotify, Apple Music, searching up either a guided body scan Hmm. or progressive muscle relaxation. And it's just a technique that takes you through identifying what you're feeling in your body as you're feeling it because we we carry stress or tension in different places and and so recognizing when you start feeling that physically because we are brains and minds and souls that are carried around in this giant meat sack (laughs) right that we call a body so that's awesome when am i emotionally experiencing things well probably the first sign is going to be I'm physically going to start feeling something. So what a progressive body scan does or um, like a progressive muscle relaxation does is it helps you identify what you're feeling, uh, where you're feeling in your body Mm. first. And then when you notice that, you can start saying, okay, I'm noticing physical sensations, emotionally, mentally, what's going on, right? That helps you learn how to calm yourself down, do some breathing, slow yourself down so that you can hear feedback from other people that may be very unpleasant. So that, that creates a, a sense of I'm not going to be reactive, right? So then I'm going to start asking for people in different areas of my life to give me feedback. How am I doing? You want to you challenge ask your teenager how you're doing as a parent. Is there anything you need more or less of from me? Now, I've done this, and I've done this with, like, an eight-year-old, and the answer was, like, more candy. Right. Take me too. <laughs> Right. But I did this when my oldest daughter, who's now 18, when she was, uh, I think, 12, and, and I, I don't remember where I heard this. I, I wish I could remember, but um, I, I don't remember. But, but I asked her, is there anything that I can do more or less of? Is there anything you need more or less of from me? And her response was structure. Mm. I need more structure. I need more accountability. That'll hit that Enneagram 7. Oh, oh structure. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Like just played. Right. Can't we just roll with it? <laughs> It'll no. be flexible. Yeah, right. <laughs> And um, wow. so it was very convicting. Now, I will say, don't ask if you're not going to do. That's right. Don't ask if you're not going to do. That's right. So start by going to those different 
different people that are part of those different areas of your life and, and ask for some really honest feedback. That's, That's a place to start. That's good. That's good. Man, I have like a million follow-ups and experiences and, and places I resonate, but I'll, I'll just end it with this. Like, um, my when my own self-awareness journey began, I felt for the first time anxiety. Mm. I'd run from all of the actual right. feelings and like coped with them and performed and looked good and it was it was all fine. <laughs> when I realized it wasn't fine, my chest hurt so bad for like mm. six straight days. I told Brooke, I was like, I think I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. And so we went and got checked out. And yeah. she went with me and did a heart scan. I'm like, hey, dude, your heart's fine. Yeah. Um, what is wrong with you? Me? Yeah. What the hell is this? Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's anxiety. And now when yeah. I feel that, I still feel it at times, maybe even several a week. The, the, the instinct to breathe deep mm. and to just settle is like, right. oh, there are some... There are some calming mechanisms that are not outside of me. Yes. Um, yeah. I, we got to, we're compressed. Yeah. So I want to, I want to um, get your answers on the top five questions or our final five questions. Okay. Are you ready to rock? Yeah. Okay. All right. <coughs> Number one, we're just going to cut 44, 35 to 44, 45. All right. Number one. I know you're a, a dapper dressed fella in your oh. in your uh, your gingham and vest look. I like that. Thank you. Uh, when you're not in sharp professional attire, what's your favorite T-shirt? My my favorite T-shirt that I have is um, I I don't I think it was Father's Day. Mm. I think I, I got this T-shirt for Father's Day. So one of uh, one of the things we used to do. I have three kids. And uh, one of the things that we used to do um, is we would go watch Marvel movies together, right? And so uh, my kids bought me a T-shirt that says, This Dad is Loved 3000, <laughs> which is uh, an endgame Marvel uh, Avengers endgame reference. That's good. And I love that T-shirt. And it's super comfy. All of that is good. Yeah. All of that is good. Um your favorite place on earth is what and where? Yeah, our front room. Mm. Describe <laughs> the front room. All, it's wild and exotic. <laughs> um, no, it is uh, the front room of our house. Like of all the places I could go, what I love is like Saturday and Sunday mornings getting up. Our front room of our house looks out to the uh, front yard. It's uh, a library, and there's a, a small fireplace in there. There's a really comfy couch, really comfy chair. And Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, my wife and I get up, have coffee, and sit in that front room, and it's just, it, it's so calming. Mm. It's It feels like a, a really sacred space because... We can just sit there. Sometimes we talk. Sometimes we're not talking, and just relaxing. And it's such a comforting space. I love it. Sacred space. I love that too, man. Um, right now, if you weren't afraid, what would you do? Yeah, I. I think. Um, I don't think I would do anything different. Mm. I. 
I would say that, I, I mean, I know, I understand what the point of the question is, right? <laughs> like, I get that. Um, one, I stopped living in fear a while ago. And two, there are some things that I am really excited about for the future. Some things I'm really looking forward to. But as an Enneagram 7, right, what I have really been working on is being content mm-hmm. where I'm at. Yeah, man. And I have some things that I'm really excited about for the future. But right now, I know I'm not ready for those things. And so I am trying to live present and... It's a good word. Yeah, just really focused on what do I need to learn? What do I need to go through mm-hmm. to really honor those future plans? Because I know if I... I, I have a history of trying to uh, finagle things and push things. And and when I do that, it doesn't go well. It just it crashes. I know that guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know I'm, all of what you're saying. I'm and tired it's so good. of being that guy. It's so good. And so I'm I'm just trying to live in in the context of building myself up, being ready for those things when it's time. It's mm, a good word, dude. To a lot of people, and certainly to me. Um, human first means what to you? Human first to me means. Um, treating people with dignity and especially in conflict. And I think that is so, so needed. I think positively I see growth in that just in different articles I read about um, changes uh, in management styles, but, you know, especially in conflict, treating people with dignity. Um, Before I did counseling, I, had a stint literally working at a paper company. Okay. Uh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. And um, one day, our department did not, I, I don't even remember what the problem was, but we didn't meet some some Quota goal, or something. Some quota, yeah. some bottom line. And uh, the VP of the company came down and brought all of us into a very small conference room. And we're talking like oh boy. 30 people. Brought us into a conference room, and he's a big guy. He was big. He was tall, loud voice. And I am not exaggerating when I say he yelled at us for 20 minutes. Oh. Yelled at us for 20 minutes. Oh. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is wild. (laughs) Like, what is happening? I cannot believe, in a professional setting, that somebody's doing this. And I, at the time, I Mm -hmm. felt even embarrassed for him. And that is something that has stayed with me where even in conflict, even when you have to address something unpleasant with someone, there is a way to do that that honors their dignity. That's right. Uh, and then there's ways that are just incredibly demoralizing and insulting. And I think people first or human first means 
honoring people and honoring their dignity. So good, man. My story like that it quickly is um, we got pulled into a similar conference room, told we were really bad. And, and the, the boss said, you are an embarrassment to this organization. <laughs> to like a whole group of people. I was like, wow. Yeah. That's a, that was like a bold proclamation. Um, goodness. Last right. question. Of all the people. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, of all, we're, we're all an embarrassment to everything about this place? We Jeez. took a poll. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. Management declares so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when it's all said and done, man, what do you want to be remembered for? Mm. I... Um, I want to be remembered as um, being a, a loving father. Um, I want to be remembered as um, as a connector, somebody that connects people. Um, and I think I, I want to be remembered as uh, as a helper, as somebody that helps other people. Um, those are the things I, I feel really passionate about. Those are the things I feel like I'm here on earth to do. And you are, my friend. I'm glad to call you a friend. I'm glad to um, understand and know your story a bit more, even in these last 52 minutes and change. Um, I'm grateful you'd, you'd open up uh, your yourself to our audience and to the lessons you've learned and the, the ways that you're helping others learn their own story, learn their own own ways that they're wired. So we're going to do this again because I didn't even touch on like lots of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but we will. We will do it again. And real quick, send us out with if they want to learn more about your your practice and your organization, where would they go? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, they would go to, so uh, the name of the counseling practice is Ampersand Counseling Group. And uh, they would go to ACG, as in Ampersand Counseling Group, ACG-KC, as in Kansas City.com, ACG-KC.com. I love it. I love it. Josh, thank you, my friend. And uh, cheers to you and, um, yeah, my other awkward comments of just telling you thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you. I enjoyed it. You're the man. See you, buddy. 